This is the weekly sermon from Church of the Holy Trinity, a Reformed Episcopal parish of the Anglican Church in North America in Houston, Texas. Please join us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. for Holy Communion, and visit us on the web at holytrinityrec.org. Enjoy the sermon. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. So the Lord saved Israel that day. On this feast of Pentecost, where we celebrate the beginnings of the church with the coming of the Holy Spirit, we continue our series on the book of 1 Samuel. The account we read of Jonathan fighting the Philistines and the Lord's salvation through defeating them that day is important and understanding the ongoing spiritual battles and wars we face as the church since the beginning on that first Pentecost. For some, it's difficult to understand Christ's victory over death and his sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty with the realities of life we face. Yet Jesus defeated sin and death to justify us, forgiving us. We look to the future where sin no longer will be present within us through the, the resurrection of our bodies, the glorification of our bodies as we profess in the creeds, as promised to us through Christ and his resurrection. We live with the presence of sin while God still works within us as his church to sanctify us. Within his work in all of us, we are called forth to a spiritual battle to confront sin with the gospel of peace. The enemies are still present just as they were for Jonathan and his armor bearer. We seek in our daily living to confront sin within ourselves and in others for God to work out the victories in people's hearts. We seek, as Jonathan did, for ways to confront this world with the tools that God has given all of us, as we read in Ephesians 6, with the armor of God, waiting for God to work, waiting for God to give the victory so that we can praise him. That is our mission from the Great Commission, embarked upon with Pentecost, as first manifested with St. Peter's sermon to the crowds on that first Pentecost. Let us this evening focus on the applications we can make from our lesson today in 1 Samuel to our call to confront the sin of this world with the gospel through the comfort and the help of the Spirit. First, as seen in the life of Jonathan and in our lives, we share the fact that there are daily threats that we face from the enemies of the cross. It is a fact of the Christian life. We cannot get out of it. Yet people try in their own version of what we will call draft dodging from their responsibility to wage spiritual warfare. Spiritual draft dodging has two manifestations. The first type are those that say the war that we are fighting against the world, the flesh, and the devil is not fair. That it is not appropriate or proper to seek the conversion of sinners. Not only do they dodge the draft of fighting for Christ, they also are protesting the spiritual war itself. Another part of this sort of dodging is to say, even the sins that we read outlined in Holy Scripture are not fair. 
but really they are not sins at all. The second type of spiritual draft dodger readily admits that there is a war, but that they will run, hide, and not take a real tangible part in that war. This is what we could call extreme monasticism, separating from sinners by isolating in monasteries, shunning the world, or they can take the individualistic monastic route. This is thinking I'm holier than others and I will isolate myself from the church and even parts of the world as much as I can along with my family. This type will not engage others to preach the gospel for fear of getting too close will possibly rub off to tempt them towards sin. All the while, both styles of extreme monasticism fail as they bring their own sinfulness with them. As we will see it a bit later in this passage from 1 Samuel, Israel also had her draft dodgers, as King Saul, as we read in the story, only had 600 men with him. Remember from the previous chapter when Saul offered the unauthorized sacrifice and the kingdom of Israel was taken from him and from his heir. In this story, most of Israel had deserted from the army and Saul panicked. The threat of the Philistines was real. For Jonathan, the threat as a reality caused him to want to take action, to do something, even to the point of telling his armor-bearer in verse verse 1, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. He was calling for what we would call today a hit-and-run attack with a small force to avoid detection so that they could inflict damage upon the enemy. The threat was real, and Jonathan was going to do something about it, however small in his estimation. Yet God, as we read in our passage tonight, used it for a great victory. Threats are real. Threats require action. In the real threats the enemies of the cross pose to us and the church, we counter with the spiritual weapons that God has granted us. He provides starting at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit to help, to comfort us through these daily battles, to keep our eyes upon Jesus Christ. This war is through Christ by his power that we, that we wage. When we as Christians think, though, that we can go the individualistic route in terms of spiritual warfare, not needing the help of the Spirit or the church, we, fa- we will fail. As in physical conflicts of nations, support and supply is important. It's a well-known maxim of warfare that nations usually with the best support will often come out victorious. Same is true for us and only through the Holy Spirit, the sole helper, the sole comforter for us as we face the enemies of the cross. It is a daily fight that needs the constant help and comfort of the Holy Spirit. Next in our lesson, in verses 6 through 15, Jonathan said the following to his armor bearer in verse 6. Come, let us go up over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Jonathan understood how God worked for his people, especially in the history of Israel. 
For us, it is the same, although the world around us states that usually the largest numbers win. The largest numbers matter. Same has crept even into parts of the church to the point that you hear some in the megachurch camp disparage the small church, thinking they cannot have a good effect in the fight against evil. Yet if you notice the words of Holy Scripture throughout, God often works with groups of people this world with scorn as incapable of success and victory. The same things occurred at Pentecost as we read tonight in Acts chapter 2 with only 120 in that upper room that immediately through the enabling power of the Holy Spirit reached 3,000 souls that first day that converted to Jesus Christ. God works with groups we would not necessarily go with if it were left up to our own decisions. Yet whether it was one fisherman preaching with boldness to thousands of potentially hostile Jews at Pentecost, or Jonathan going to attack a whole garrison of the Philistines with one other person, God works and provides victories. For us, it's important to note that the victories granted by God are by his measurement alone, not by our measurements the result of this initial attack by these two mere men against the whole garrison is found in verse 15. And there was a panic in the camp and the field and among the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked and it became a very great panic. Even though the kingdom was taken away in terms of the heir Jonathan in the previous chapter, God still used this heir. Now without a future throne to lead Israel to victory. It's very telling after the account in chapter 13, following Saul's fall from grace, that his son leads God's people to victory, and not Saul. Jonathan, as we will read throughout the rest of 1 Samuel, was truly a faithful man of God, a faithful warrior, a faithful friend, fully capable of taking the throne when his father died. Such could no longer be due to the sin of his father. Yet it did not mean God could no longer work through this man as he did in our lesson today and as he did throughout the rest of 1 Samuel. God continues to work through us as his church through the help and the comfort of the Spirit. We go forth against overwhelming odds just as Jonathan and just as Peter in our lessons. The wonder of Pentecost is that God uses all types of people, all types of his servants, to fulfill his call to spread the church. Whether it is through the mega church or the small church, God works through all of us to preach the gospel, to wage spiritual warfare against the world, the flesh, and the devil on a daily level. It is the call for every Christian to come and go over, to continue the good fight, standing in Jesus alone. The last part of our passage in 1 Samuel speaks of how the courageous attack of two men against the whole garrison inspired the rest of Israel, especially King Saul and his 600 men, and even those that had dodged the draft, so to speak, as we read in the previous chapter when they went into hiding. As verse 22 states about these Israelites that had ran and hid from battle, they too followed hard after them into the battle. 
Note King Saul did not seek to attack until his son took the initiative. Saul is the king here that has fallen from grace. Jonathan, as his son, continues as a faithful servant of God, thus being led by God's mighty acts to defeat their enemies. Jonathan inspired even the cowards that had left Israel before. Israel that day was given a great victory by God. We all need such moments in our lives of faith as well. Often as we live the faith, we suffer. We face afflictions. We can read the epistles of St. Paul and see such suffering as he served Jesus in the church. We might have times where fellow believers act more like a King Saul in panic that disappoint us or a Peter that shows partiality. All this occurs within the body of Christ, the church, because we are all redeemed sinners in need of God's constant grace and intervention. Mistakes are made by all of us. We sometimes even want to dodge the draft for the next spiritual battle on the horizon and become a monastic to go into hiding. These are all the elements of spiritual warfare we face. Yet God, the Holy Spirit, has come as we celebrate this day at Pentecost. He has come to indwell us, to empower us by the grace of Jesus Christ, to fight under his banner, to do mighty things, such as Jonathan or Peter, to preach to thousands of Jews, even though many were hostile to Jesus and the disciples. We face overwhelming odds and worldly eyes every single day. Yet those odds are not an issue for Christians, for our call is not worldly, our call is heavenly. We are inspired by the indwelling of the Spirit in every one of us to work and fight under the banner of Jesus to reach every part of the earth with the life-saving message of the gospel, to kill the old man of sin within us through grace, by faith, submitting to baptism being raised from the waters of baptism to live for Christ alone. Our fight is not, as Jonathan, with physical weapons. It is rather spiritual, under the covering of Christ through the Spirit. These weeks of the church year, since we marked the celebration of the resurrection of Christ 50 days ago, not only were to celebrate, but in reality were meant to prepare us for life. We need such for the mundane and the stark moments of spiritual battle. The imagery of the long season of Trinity that is ahead, which is meant to teach us about the spread of the kingdom of God, the church, is marked with lessons about growing crops, about tending fruit trees, about tending vineyards, about shepherding flocks, and yes, also about the conduct of spiritual warfare. These 50 days behind us are meant to propel us into the life we face every day for the cause of Jesus Christ anew, to be refreshed with the message of the resurrection, with the message of the ascension, with the message of the reality of the Spirit within all of us. With Pentecost, we are given the mantle to go forth in our Savior. Without the Spirit, we would not be able to fulfill this call. These days of celebration inspire us to go forth. The conduct of spiritual warfare is 
a reality. Such is marked primarily, though, by the love of Jesus Christ, by the love of God for all of us. Such love has driven the church since the beginning to do truly great things by the power of Almighty God, starting with what we read today in Acts chapter 2 with Peter. Through this love for us, we are inspired to love through gratitude that is cultivated by the Holy Spirit. As Jesus said in our gospel tonight, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now this is not a muster up something on my own statement. It is with the knowledge the Holy Spirit would come to enable us to love. It came with the force that God first loved us as sinners to redeem us. As John 14, 18 reminds us, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. In such love, we can love others enough even to give up our own lives for the sake of Christ and the church. Again, Jesus in verse 26 stills us in his loving grace to know indeed that we can obey, that we can love. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Too often, I believe the self-righteous in all of us takes passages like this one and hone in on one element. Seeking to teach one can attain proper love through one's own power, will, and strength. Yet after saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, Jesus states that God helps us and enables us to love by his grace alone. After assuaging our doubts to be able to obey be able to fight the good fight, to adopt us as his children, to send the Spirit to teach us in all things. Jesus gives us a final element. In verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the Father gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The implications in the statement to spread the gospel and to fight under the banner of Christ against the world, the flesh, and the devil are profound. We go forth in the peace of Jesus Christ, in his peace that surpasses all understanding, enabling us to do things we are otherwise incapable of doing. This is why we can wage spiritual warfare. Loving others as God first loved us. To resign ourselves to his love. To give our troubles to him. To give our fears to him. The measure of what constitutes a victory though. Is not for us to measure. It is by God alone. We often do not see the results. Of the portion of the battles we have fought. That is for God. We leave it in the hands of God. And are content. In such the celebration and worship of God on his day, the first day of the week gives us refreshment in the midst of the battles we fight. It is in worship where we are revived, where we are rested to go back to do God's work. As we read in the psalm this evening, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of God. We experience God's victory in our own lives to obey and to worship him, to love others, to listen to the word of God and to repent. We experience his victory in our own lives through coming to his table to partake of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We praise God in our worship for all the little 
and all the great victories we have experienced in the previous week. We praise God in our worship even after we have, when we feel defeated, knowing God still is at work in a mysterious way. We come to worship by the leading of the Spirit to submit to God, to love, to be fed as his adopted children around his table as his own, and to be given anew his peace, to give all our troubles, all our fears to him through our prayers, through our praise, through our worship. Let us bask in his love on this Pentecost, preparing to go forth into fields that he has given us to work in, to fight in, under his banner, just as Jonathan, just as Peter. Let us close with these words of our Savior in our gospel tonight. Rise, let us go from here. Amen.